Welcome to the JACCP podcast. My name is Candace Garwood. I'm an editorial board member for ACCP's other official journal, Pharmacotherapy, and I was an invited editorialist for the December issue of JACCP. However, my primary role is as clinical professor of pharmacy practice at Wayne State University, Eugene Applebaum College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Edith Nutescu from the University of Illinois at Chicago and Dr. Natalia Tarasuk from Penn Medicine Lancaster General Health. Dr. Nutescu is the director of the Center of Pharmacoepidemiology and Pharmacoeconomic Research at UIC. Dr. Tarasuk was a PGY2 resident at Cleveland Clinic when she completed the research that we're going to discuss today, but is currently an ambulatory care clinical pharmacy specialist at Penn Medicine. Both authors have manuscripts published in the December issue of JACCP on the topic of anticoagulation management services. Dr. Nutescu and Tarasuk, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you as well. Dr. Tarasuk and Dr. Nutescu, you both evaluated warfarin management within anticoagulation clinics run by pharmacists compared with services that were run by nurses. Can you each give a short synopsis of your study and your findings? We'll start with you, Dr. Tarasuk. Sure, thank you. The manuscript describes a PGY2 residency research project. The main aim of the study was to compare all-cause hospital admissions between two different anticoagulation management services within the institution, a pharmacist-managed model and a nurse-managed model. We chose a non-anticoagulation-related primary outcome in order to assess the value-added benefit of pharmacist training and education performing anticoagulation services. We also evaluated the patient demographics in each group, the admission types, 30-day readmissions, and emergency department visits. After adjusting for differences in the different patient population between the groups, which included history of previous admission, CHADS FAST score, international status, poverty level, and race, we still found a 37% decrease in hospitalization rates in patients managed by pharmacists. There were no other differences in secondary outcomes, and the study was likely not powered enough to find these differences. We did, however, find a statistically significant difference in time and therapeutic range with a higher time and therapeutic range in the pharmacist-managed group. Overall, this was a hypothesis-generating study, and there is certainly more we can add in terms of cost avoidance data, tracking pharmacist interventions, and other clinical outcomes. Dr. Nutescu? Um, 
entailed uh, patients of higher complexity, and I'll come back to this um, uh, just in a bit. Um, in terms of our primary secondary outcomes, the quality of anticoagulation control after adjusting for compounders and imbalances between the group, two groups was the same. Um, so no differences in terms of uh, percent timing range, uh, which is quality of antibiotic control between the two groups. However, uh, what we found interestingly was that the nurse managed group had over seven times greater odds of hospitalizations and ED visits. Uh, so these were warfarin-related hospitalizations and ED visits. Then when we looked at what the financial impact of this was, um, basically um, this seven times higher odds, um, in turn when we look at how much we save by avoiding the hospitalizations and easy visits on the premises side, it turns out we saved just a little over half a million dollars um, over the 1.25 um, year observation period or, you know, this equates to about a $5,000 per patient, um, uh, so $5,000 saved uh, per patient managed in the pharmacist uh, managed group. Now, one important aspect of our study that I need to highlight is that UI Health serves uh, an underserved inner city population. And when you look at our paper and look at the distribution um, of the patient population in the two study groups, the pharmacist managed group had a more complex population that I already alluded to. So the indications were different at baseline. So the pharmacist managed group tended to manage um, patients with VTE mainly, um, some AFib, some mechanical hot valves. Uh, the nurse managed group they mainly focus on managing AF patients and mechanical heart valve patients. But one interesting aspect is that in the pharmacist managed group, the population was more non-adherent, had a higher number of missed appointments or with anticoagulation monitoring visits, higher number of drug interactions, and a higher number of patients were on more than 10 medications. Now, obviously, all of these differences were adjusted for, but it's something to know because it goes back to our referral pattern. So bottom line, we found um, uh, favorable differences for the pharmacist management in terms of avoiding hospitalization and easy business that equated to a cost avoidance. Well, thank you very much for describing those um, studies. I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit more about the anticoagulation services at your respective institutions. So can you tell us about which anticoagulants are being managed, the personnel that are providing the management services and the billing mechanisms? Dr. Natescu, maybe we can start with you first. Yes. 
genetic cross from cardiologists, mainly for the less complex patients for AF, um, stroke prevention, and then uh, heart valve patients. So that explains the complexity. And then in addition, the nurse managed clinic would refer into the pharmacist managed clinic for more complex and more unstable patients. So, uh, so to say, harder to uh, maintain therapeutic anticoagulation in. Um, in terms of agents that we manage, the pharmacist management clinic uh, manages warfarin, uh, manages uh, high-risk patients on long-term low molecular weight heparin. So we have um, a fairly high percent of uh, patients who are pregnant, um, pediatric patients, so I would categorize it as special patient populations, indeed for longer-term um, subcutaneous therapy that for some reason cannot be on an oral anticoagulant. And then lastly, um, they also manage uh, direct oral anticoagulants. In contrast, the nurse managed clinic mainly focuses on managing warfarin. Uh, in terms of the, the population size, um, the pharmacist managed clinic uh, manages around seven to 800 active patients. Um, and the nurse managed clinic is, is a bit smaller in the terms of more than two to 300 patients. Again, their focus is mainly warfarin. Okay, thank you. Uh, Dr. Tarasuk, can you describe the services at uh, Cleveland Clinic at the time that you were there? Sure. So across the health system at the time of the research study, there were about 9,000 or more patients requiring anticoagulation management services without a standardized approach to AMS. Um, Patients were managed for warfarin primarily. There weren't any DOAC or long-term Lovenox patients or clinic models in place at the time. Um, some examples of the AMS services include the pharmacist clinic and the nurse-managed clinic that I can elaborate on a little bit more. The pharmacy anticoagulation clinic is a point-of-care model clinic in which pharmacists practice under collaborative drug therapy management agreement. Patients are seen for their point-of-care testing during during business hours and 10 to 15 minute appointment times. And patients also had access 24 seven to on-call access to the pharmacists. Um, the referrals came from only Cleveland Clinic Health System providers. The billing mechanism for the pharmacist managed clinic included a low level one reimbursement fee and a lab fee. The registered nurse model is also a point of care clinic. Nurses practice under a protocol with provider assistance if necessary to deviate from this protocol. And appointment times were just a little bit longer at 15 to 20 minutes at a time. And I do believe the nurse visit reimbursement was used for the nurse managed clinic billing. The main differences between the two services included the personnel training, their scopes of practice, availability as the pharmacist did have a 24-7 on-call program, and the geographic locations, which kind of drive the perhaps uh, poverty level or the risk of patients that serve the patients. Great. I think that helps our listeners really understand your services just a little bit better. In my editorial, I presented the challenge that patient access to pharmacist-run anticoagulation management services is at risk related to rapidly changing healthcare economics and also related to the uptake and prescribing of the direct oral anticoagulants or the DOACs. Pharmacists have high salaries, and so it may be difficult to offset that salary through um, mechanisms of billing that pharmacists perform. So Dr. Tarasuk, could you describe from your perspective what threats to pharmacist-run anticoagulant management services you believe exist? 
Sure. Dr. Garwood, your editorial described many of these threats that exist to pharmacist-run anticoagulation clinics. Despite the increasing data supporting high-quality outcomes, the cost of these clinics is likely the biggest threat. You describe the pressure to cut costs, improve financial efficiencies, and tighten budgets. Many of these clinics are not necessarily revenue generating, but are focused on cost avoidance after longer term use through preventing avoidable healthcare utilization, freeing up higher salaried provider time, and preventing clinical outcomes, both anticoagulation and non-anticoagulation related. However, we are seeing the healthcare payment landscape change as we transition from fee-for-service models and cost avoidance is becoming important as we focus on population health but this does not eliminate the threat completely and creating cost avoidance avoidance business plans is not always the easiest sell to higher level administration. The next biggest concern in my mind um, is the lack of nationally recognized provider status uh, because this limits the ability for higher level billing and more advanced reimbursement, especially for the face-to-face appointment models. On the flip side, this needs to be carefully balanced because many patients benefit from the lack of insurance billing because they are not faced with a copay that could significantly limit their access to appropriate and timely monitoring. Without good reimbursement for face-to-face visits, telephonic management may become a substitute, and I think both clinical outcomes and pharmacist, provider, and patient satisfaction could be impacted by this kind of model. The minimal reimbursement bill for these services, whether it's face-to-face or telephone management, often requires a significant volume of patients to be seen to simply break even financially, and this could limit the time pharmacists can have with the patients. Um, With the pressure of shorter appointment times to see more patients, again, this could also be a threat to the quality of patient care. Another threat would be technology software that many anticoagulation management services already use that would eliminate the need for as many providers and clinics but also would take away from the clinical judgment that is often required but not detected by technology. And finally, the ability of other healthcare professionals to perform similar services is a threat, especially without the ability to track the value-added services pharmacists may be providing. Thank you. Um, Dr. Nutescu, what opportunities for pharmacist-run anticoagulant services do you believe lie ahead? So I think, uh, Dr. Garwood, there are several, and I would like to with um, the opportunity to expanding our roles, expanding the pharmacist's role in anticoagulation from both this management. I would like to use uh, some suggested ideas such as the anticoagulation stewardship model. So this is an opportunity that is up and coming and some institutions nationally are going in this direction. So this would be basically allowing the anticoagulation expert, the pharmacist, to have input both on the inpatient side, transitioning of the care from inpatient to outpatient, and then obviously the systematic management of outpatient. So under the umbrella of an anticoagulation stewardship approach. Now, in addition to uh, perhaps uh, revamping the way we offer services and the various models. So, you know, moving away from the more antiquated traditional management of a single drug to uh, incorporating novel agents like injectable management um, and then expanding services to include the direct oral anticoagulants. Um, also, under the inpatient umbrella, obviously, management of high risk populations such as HIV. 
pediatrics, pregnancy, uh, obesity, renal impairment, you know, I can go on others. Uh, but even our patient to expand beyond, again, managing traditional patients, so including uh, direct oral anticoagulants. Um, so there, I think, you know, these um, evolving models have already been recognized by several um, national consensus papers and guidelines, and um, pharmacists uh, have a great opportunity here to step in and be at the forefront of, of leading and pushing forward novelty of these services. But the second thing where I see opportunity is change in the way we justify our services, the way we're reimbursed. So Dr. Terrace mentioned uh, some concerns or barriers around fee-for-service reimbursement. And so as the volume of warfarin patients will be falling, and it's falling, moving um, towards a more cost avoidance model and more of a risk reduction that equates to cost avoidance, uh, I believe is the way to go. Uh, so evaluating things like patient satisfaction, quality of care, uh, the risk avoidance that these type of services bring back to the institution, and last but not uh, least, uh, patient-reported outcomes um, that, that um, are a key factor in evaluating the type and, and the level of quality that the services could bring, bring back to a health system. And then uh, lastly, um, the um, inclusion of pharmacists in national consensus guidelines, um, white papers. Uh, so I think, you know, that's an area where, again, we could be at the forefront and lobby uh, for our profession, uh, be active, be visible, and um, offer our services and, and be at the forefront of assuring that we're included in new initiatives Thank you for those great ideas. What do you think are the necessary strategies for ensuring patient access to pharmacist care in the future? You kind of mentioned some of those, but I was hoping that you could elaborate just a little bit more. Dr. Tarasuk? Sure. I think um, my response is going to echo a lot of what Dr. Nutescu has just um offered us as opportunities. I don't think there is an easy, quick fix answer to this question, and each healthcare system may find its own unique way of ensuring pharmacist involvement in every level of medication therapy management. Um, but in terms of anticoagulation management services, which we know have really helped get our foot in the door to direct patient care with just one drug monitoring of warfarin, um, the use of DOAX, and usually appropriately so, is rising, but warfarin will still remain as a mainstay of therapy for many patients. And likely the patients who do remain on warfarin will be a higher risk population, including those with more complex indications, including valvular disease, severe renal disease, hypercoagulable states, left ventricular assist devices, patients with cost barriers, or even first initiation of warfarin. So this should certainly be a reason to include pharmacists in these patients' care. For the other patients who ultimately transition, although the management of DOAX is less labor-intensive, I do not think this precludes the need for pharmacist involvement in their management. These agents are still high patient risk. Pharmacists can and should be involved in monitoring appropriate dosing, changes in renal function, bleeding parameters, and financial access. For both ther therapies, perioperative management is a common scenario that could be a unique niche for pharmacists to continue playing um, a role. And in addition, if transitions are necessary to and from warfarin and the DOAX, pharmacists can be involved. 
in terms of making pharmacists viable, it is possible to perhaps gain payer support to fund an additional pharmacist position. But in the end, I think advocacy for provider status, support of the value-added services, developing strong relationships with administration and executives and healthcare systems, as well as payers and continued cost-effectiveness data, will, as well as some of those other ideas, such as anti-coagulation stewardship model, um, guidelines, including pharmacists, and improving reimbursement, should really be extremely important to allow pharmacists to be involved in patient care. Uh, okay, so how do you suggest presenting the concept of DOAC management to health system administrators? And what, if any, economic rationale do you present for providing such services? Dr. Nutescu? Yeah, so to build on some of the points that Dr. Karasuk uh, has already uh, raised uh, very nicely in um, uh, addressing your previous question, um, I would like to add the fact that uh, there's quite a bit of data coming out from real-world operational studies that nicely highlight that uh, administering direct or anticoagulants, uh, again, is not as simple as giving a prescription to the patient and then letting them basically use without any type of follow-up. Um, we know that in our own institutions, there are issues. Um, or any migration service, for instance, uh, monitor stations uh, after discharge. And so we see issues all the time with getting prescriptions filled in time, drug interactions, those adjustments, recurrent events, again, due to non-adherence. And so I think, you know, Dr. Garwood, to answer your question, is really documenting this type of issues in our own systems and then equating this to, um, again, cost um, and potential cost avoidance and bringing back these numbers to our administrators. So again, moving away from a fee-for-service to risk reduction models, cost avoidance models, and obviously decreasing risk, uh, decreasing complications, improving patient satisfaction, patient quality of life, um, these are all great points for the system. You know, these eventually can also lead to decreasing liability for the system, as we know that it's not uncommon, you know, to have uh, risk-related use liability issues um, with the antiquitants being at the top of the um, uh, drugs associated both with side effects, but also, you know, uh, drugs that are um, very frequently litigated. And so taking this approach of risk reduction, cost avoidance, and showing potential benefits of what these type of services can bring back to the system. So, but again, you know, moving away just from warfare, incorporating, I would say, the full toolbox of anticoagulants and body management. So that includes DOAC, that includes injectables, that includes high-risk patients uh, as well. Thank you. Um, what future studies do you think could be conducted to measure financial impacts of anticoagulation models with warfarin and for the DOACs? You mentioned this a little bit, but do you have any specific thoughts? So in our current study uh, that I briefly reviewed with you published in the December issue of the journal, we have conducted a very cursory uh, economic analysis based on hospital charges. And so avoidance, obviously looking at orphan-related admissions, TV visits, and, you know, um, what we avoid in terms of those using hospital charge data. And so the next step uh, I think that's needed would be a um, more detailed 
breaking down in more detail the provider time um, service components. So again, a more detailed cost-effectiveness analysis. And then beyond that, again, you know, because this is looking at two different um, service models, nurses and pharmacists, but then I would say the next wave would be to look at these more detailed economic analysis, comparing services perhaps that incorporate management of novel agents versus those that focus mainly on traditional agents and really show the benefit of um, more uh, comprehensive Great. Thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts about anticoagulation management and the future of pharmacists uh, being able to provide care for patients. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity.